Welcome to the Biochar podcast presented by Antbig. Our podcast features experts speaking about biochar, how it's made, its uses and applications, and the impact it has socially, economically, and environmentally. Antbig is a not-for-profit industry group, and as a global leader in biochar, assists companies, governments, and institutions in the effective production and use of biochar. Antbig works to streamline education, research, collaboration, and the commercial uptake of biochar and wood vinegar. Our aim is to help create a more sustainable future, greater economic prosperity, job opportunities, and an improved quality of life for all of us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Biochar Podcast. I'm San Zagami, the current cluster manager at Ansby. Last week was National Water Week. Its theme was United by Water. It celebrates water's vital role in connecting all of us. Water touches every aspect of development. It drives economic growth, supports healthy ecosystems, and is essential and fundamental for life. We at Ansbeek celebrate Water Week by focusing today's episode on biochar's role in water. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Wendy Timms from Deakin University. Wendy has 30 years of experience in water and porous earth engineering projects, research and training. She is a chartered engineer, civil, environmental, and an environmental scientist with experience in consulting, government, and academia. She is a professor of environmental engineering at Deakin University, where she teaches waste resources engineering, water engineering, and geology. She leads a research team on water and energy below ground, carbon sequestration, and biochar. I hope you enjoy this episode. To the show. Hello, Sam. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us today on, um, you know, talking about water in biochar. And, um, you know, I'll kind of straight away kick off by just asking you to tell us a bit about your role at Deakin University um, and your research around biochar. Yeah, sure. So uh, uh, at Deakin University, I'm involved in teaching and research. Um, we have a waste to resources engineering uh, subject that uh, our engineers do in third year. And uh, so we have a lot of projects happening in that, uh, in that unit because it's a, a project-based hands-on unit uh, where they actually get in there and, and try um, composting and, and look at biochar and, and all sorts of things to do with waste and how we make value from it. Um, I'm also involved with, uh, with research. And so uh, a lot of what we're doing is related to, to water uh, in big systems, whether it be uh, underground systems, uh, whether it be um, soils uh, to do with composting, um, any porous material really um, that we're researching. And biochar is a big, big part of that and a, and a growing part of it because we can see the links between water and, and carbon and uh, food security, uh, which bias, biochar, as we're going to, to talk through, um, has uh, has a lot of um, really valuable solutions for us. So I, I think uh, research uh, in that space is, uh, has been increasing at Deakin, and we've got a number of projects across different parts of the university, um, many of which that I'm involved with, but also a lot of colleagues working on, on lots of different aspects of biochar. So it's an exciting space to work. Uh, we work closely with collaborators uh, in industry, in government, 
uh, and across some other universities um, um, internationally as well. So uh, it's 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 all it's it's full on. Yeah, it's all happening. Wonderful. And I mean, like the the what you guys do is really important because the research that you're doing really is going to help the industry grow forward. Yes, well, we're very conscious of the need to focus uh, our research on um, real kind of material matters that are going to help the industry scale up. Um, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's heaps of research being done. Um, I think uh, Professor Stephen Joseph or, or someone mentioned, is it, you know, 20,000 papers out there? Um, and certainly there's a, there's a lot of papers. We still do have some unknown gaps, though, and they're the ones that we're trying to fill with our research. But we're very conscious of working with um, startup companies, with larger ASX companies, with international companies who have both uh, supply of organics and then at the uh, application side of things just to firm up um, you know what the benefits are and what the risks are so we're really conscious of that scaling up need um, you know consistent with the roadmap that um, ANSBIC has, has developed. Fantastic and, and I'm just wondering if you could speak to a couple of the um, the missing pieces there that you feel like needs to be researched. Ah uh, well there's um there's quite a bit of work that's been done showing that um, showing that adding organic carbon to the soil can increase uh, water holding capacity and water availability. And that's very well established. Uh, we know that. Um, perhaps what's not quite so well known is how we really need to design the biochar, both the feedstock and the pyrolysis steps and perhaps some pre-processing or post-processing afterwards to essentially get a recipe that's really specific for that type of soil or for that type of horticultural growth medium or for that type of um, crop or application. So really to try and get specific recipes. Uh, yeah, so uh, it kind of goes another whole step beyond uh, say buying, purchasing say the right standard or the right grade of biochar to say, hey, how do we really get in and design what exactly we need here or what exactly we need in terms of water availability or nitrogen or phosphorus availability um, from the biochar? Um, so we're looking at that. Um, there's also some gaps, I think, around um, life cycle analysis. Uh, so one of our PhD students, Sajana Adhikari, has uh, published a, a few things so far, but there's a bunch of things in progress around life cycle analysis, trying to figure out, you know, what's going to be the balance in terms of the, the size or throughput of, of um, pyrolysis uh, facilities versus where we actually need them around, um, around the countryside, you know, in terms of transport distance. Um, you don't want to transport the feedstock or the product um, too far, or it might negate uh, the carbon benefits that you've actually um, gained. Um, so there's a few uncertainties there. There's a few other gaps around the place as well that we're, that we're really trying to target with um, with our research. Yeah, fantastic. And I think that, you know, being able to have that, you know, close to perfect um, measurements like you were speaking to will really help, like, for example, farmers, um, you know, different industries to be able to then start to use biochar on a mass scale. And you mentioned there, um, you know, doing some research on biochar's water holding capacity. And I'm just wondering if you could speak to how biochar's water hold holding capacity could drive economic growth. 
Well, uh, Australia's in the really fortunate position that we export food. Um, one of my first jobs as a graduate um, was with the New South Wales Department of Soil Conservation and Water Resources. I was working with farmers in the Murray-Darling Basin um, with really broad acre cropping. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just so fortunate we're exporting food and, and we know that a lot of that depends on water. Um, you know, water is water is life <laughs> for us, uh, you know, drinking water wise, but for growing our crops, um, for fodder, for animals and so forth, um, we absolutely need to use our water wisely, particularly now that we're going into an El Nino and a drought situation. Um, so it also is, you know, very important whether it's a dry land agriculture or whether it's irrigated agriculture, um, whether the water being used is from uh, directly from rainfall in, in, in those dryland uh, cropping and, and pastures or whether it's irrigation. And um, we know, for example, irrigation is incredibly productive um, as far as farmland's concerned. Um, many years ago, I, I did my PhD on an irrigated farm um, in the, the Murrumbidgee um, and another up in the Namoy. And we know that, you know, if you're irrigating um, your farmland, it's it's going to produce far, far more because you've got that, um, that water input. So uh, I think, say, irrigated agriculture in Australia might be relatively small area, maybe 1% of the area of agricultural land, but it's producing more than a quarter of the value of our agricultural um, produce, both for the domestic market and, and certainly for, for export and helping to feed the world. Um, and yet we know that irrigated agriculture is using um, a lot of water. Um, so, you know, maybe um, two thirds of our water use in Australia is for agriculture. A lot of that's, um, you know, also drawn from our underground aquifers. And so biochar has a role with um, trying to um, improve how we're balancing water in the landscape and with farming. Um, because when that rainfall drops from the sky, we wanna be able to catch it, um, let it infiltrate the soil, let it feed into the root zone of our crops and our pastures or our native vegetation and slow that water up, hold it there so that it can be um, used for, for vegetation growth. Um, and also as that soil moisture store is, is, um, is, is filled up, then it also will percolate down further uh, into the water table and in aquifers. And it's much better to store our water in the soil zone uh, with organic carbon and biochar and in the, in the aquifers underneath um, and then pump it out when we need it um, than it is to, say, put it in a huge big dam, particularly some of the shallow uh, dams that we see in some of the, the flatter broad acre um, farming areas where half of that water will evaporate over the summer. Okay, so it's far better to, to use, um, to capture that rainwater, to store it in a spongy landscape a spongy croplands, uh, spongy pastures, sponge countryside, rather than letting that countryside go too hard, lose its porosity, the water hits it, it just all runs off and we get what we call flashy um, hydrographs or flat, flashy floods, you know, where we get massive floods that come up very quickly, far quicker than, than perhaps they would have um, in, in the past um, before we, we modified um, the landscape too much. Mm. So 
I, I think, you know, the economic growth that we see around um, around agriculture is, is you know, the value of water. Um, you know, we're, even if you if you look at the, say, the value of um, of groundwater um, stored in those aquifers, um, you know, you're looking at, at millions and billions of dollars of worth of agricultural produce, and and so we need to um, we need to manage that water, um, particularly during drought, but it can also help us during wetter times to reduce those flashy floods by having um, that zone in the soil in the in the root zone where we're where we're storing more carbon. Um, the biochar is there. And we'll get into this, I think, but uh, you know how long it's there for. Um, the the stable nature of biochar as a porous matrix, um, just like an aero bar, you know, a chocolate bar. There's lots of, you know, pore spaces in there that help make that landscape a porous landscape. That if we can capture that water, that store that water, that then becomes dollars uh, as that produce grows for us. Yeah, I really hear that. And I guess what you're speaking to um, is about soil moisture, right? And so exactly. I'm yeah. wondering if you can just speak to the relationship between soil moisture and carbon storage in soils. Yes, well, there's there's a close relationship there. And so when we um, when we clear vegetation or we farm the soil, um, particularly in the early days, um, you know, we we probably ploughed it a bit too much and and uh, lost some of that organic matter because if the organic matter is is from uh, say um, residual um, crop waste that you know the um, it's left to lie on the the soil surface it's ploughed in that will decompose and you've lost it um, whereas when you put the biochar in there, it's far more stable. So they're different types of carbon. And we know there's, um, you know, different types of carbon in that soil um, carbon pool. But the, the moisture is super important in both cases, whether the um, soil carbon is from uh, decaying plant matter or whether that moisture is related to the biochar that's stored there. And the, the, the reason for that is that um, carbon matter decays faster if it's wetting and drying and if it's on the dry side or if it's on the super wet side. So in other words, there's an optimum moisture content in the soil where the carbon is more stable. Um, and so uh, if we are able to return our soils to a more healthy uh, carbon level, um, we're actually also able to store more water in that soil because it will hang around longer, right? Um, not only does the organic matter um, help absorb the water, but it's creating that porous matrix um, and that good structure in the soil, which enables the soil to, to hold that water um, rather than being compacted and low porosity and so forth. Um, I think the kind of the rough rule, for example, might be that um, um, for every 1% increase in, in soil organic carbon, uh, you could well store somewhere between 10 and 50 tonnes per hectare of additional water storage. Now, that very much depends on the density of the soil, the bulk density of the soil, 
um, on the type of organic matter that's in there and a few other factors. Um, but there's a really close relationship, as you can see, between the percentage of carbon that's stored in the soil and how much moisture that can be in there. And then you've got this feedback mechanism because if you if um, if that organic matter is um, being lost over time, um, say over decades, I think um, some of the numbers floating around suggest that a lot of Australia's farmland has has probably lost half of our soil carbon. Um, over the last 100 years or, or so. So not only have we lost half our soil carbon, you can say then that we've lost um, an enormous amount of, of moisture holding, you know. So we've, we've turned what was probably more of a, a natural sponge landscape into a harder landscape um, with less water. So to, to put that carbon back in, um, you know, for every 1% increase in your soil organic carbon that you're storing maybe 10, maybe 50 tonnes per hectare of that additional water storage, um, you can see that um, that's a lot of water, right? Um, but um, if, we, if we can maintain the soil moisture then within that optimum range, um, not letting it wetting and drying too much because that's when the, the, the carbon decomposes um, and... And yet, I think one of the benefits with with biochar then is because it's stable over a hundred years, um, perhaps even longer for some of the biochars that we've been testing lately. Um, we've we've several biochars that, um, no matter what tests we use, um, you know they're probably stable for a, for at least a thousand years. So you've got that biochar that stays in there and also enables your moisture levels to remain um, higher and a bit more constant over time without that wetting and drying and wetting and drying as the as the seasons come and go and as um, more labile or more mobile um, organic carbon in the soil decomposes um, relatively quickly. Um, compared to, to biochar. So it's it's kind of complicated, but uh, there is a clear story there. Um, increase your organic carbon and you're going to increase your water storage in the soil. And it's going to be better if more of that carbon in the soil is, is in the biochar format. And then I guess just kind of following on from that is that once you have that sweet spot and you have the carbon in there, have the water it's like that's actually going to create a healthy ecosystem. Um, and I suppose I'm wondering if you can just speak to that of how biochar can really um, support some of those healthy ecosystems. You kind of alluded it to, you know, I can see the, the train of how it's going, but I'm just wondering <laughs> if you could spell it out for us a bit more. Yes. Um, so biochar supports healthy ecosystems in a number of ways. Um, I'm not a microbiologist, but we some of our colleagues here at the university and and look at this is this is quite well established in scientific literature from many of our biochar colleagues around the world. Firstly, you're going to get a lot more growth of microbes and and and, and fungi in the soil. Um, so you're going to have a much healthier soil ecosystem because it's kind of like you've got this biochar, um, hotel <laughs> um, for for soils um, to to enhance their microbial and fungi growth. Um, that also means um, you know that we get better root growth um, from um, the produce that we're trying to grow, the crops or the pasture. Um, so, for example, we've just got some experiments running at the moment um, where we're comparing horticultural growth mediums uh, with biochar uh, and without biochar. 
and uh, just some hot off the press, uh, hot off the press uh, results that our root growth um, in the, the horticultural media with biochar is double the length. Okay, and that's and there's lots more results to to process yet, um, but that immediately is is indicating that the what's happening below um, the ground level, um, below our feet in the soil in the growth medium, is um, far more enhanced um, when when biochar is in there um, as a matrix to support um, biological growth, whether it's whether it's microbes or, or, or fungi or, or, or plant roots. Um, the second aspect I'd probably like to mention here around healthy ecosystems, and this is a topic close to my heart, is um, is woody weeds as a feedstock to actually make biochar um, can really help our biodiversity um, in many parts of our degraded landscapes in Australia. Um, I grew up in an area where there was a lot of broom um, growing, um, taking over uh, pasture and, and national park native vegetation and brooms are really ugly woody horrible plant when it gets going and it creates this terrible terrible matrix of um of of growth that yeah we really need to get in there and and um uh <laughs> make it into biochar and put it to to a better use and get rid of it um and there's there's a few other woody weeds that um create problems for us um you know lantana and, and gorse and and so forth um, so if we can make biochar from from these these woody weeds, uh, um, it's it's fantastic because it opens up another um, avenue of um, sourcing organics without um, competing for uh, food to to you know to 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 obtain that biomass. We want to stick to waste biomass, or we want to create new sources of it with algae or or using these woody weeds. Um, and you know definitely. Um, you know, we, we do have a biodiversity crisis in Australia. Um, one of my other roles is, is with the, the federal government and uh, the Office of Water and, and under the Environmental Protection Act in Australia. You know, we, we have a massive issue with, with biodiversity that we really need to, to address in terms of whole landscapes and um, diversity of, um, of, of fauna, but it's also supporting um, a lot of native animals in those landscapes that if you've got woody weeds running out of control um you know it's leading to one of the highest mammal extinctions um in the world and and so you know biodiversity on a really broad scale there um is is something to consider with with our source of um of feedstock to make biochar um another aspect which i guess i've already touched on at that landscape scale of course is the is the is the spongy landscape if we can return our landscapes, our countryside to being more like a sponge rather than a, a hard pan where, where rainfall runs off too quickly. Um, it also means that we're, we're kind of drip feeding that water down the, down the countryside into our creeks and rivers and wetlands bit by bit. And that's far better for the um, diversity uh, along those, those, those surface water systems rather than having um, these flashy floods that, um, you know, come down and, and, and cause these massive floods. Now, we know that um, in climate change, not only is temperature rising, but along with temperature in the atmosphere, you know, there's a relationship there that um, increasing temperature means that the atmosphere holds more moisture, which means when it does rain, um, 
of course, we've got higher rainfall intensity events as well, which is also contributing to those flashy floods. But if we've got that spongy landscape, at least we can say that um, we, we've done um, our best to, to slow down that water and to gradually allow it to release and to, to keep our rivers running um, even in the dry times, you know, maybe it, it might not rain for a month or two or three months or, or longer and, and our rivers keep flowing. And that's because we've got that water slowly coming down from the soil zone and from our aquifers and, and feeding into those ecosystems. A lot of our river systems in Australia are, are fully allocated. It means the water licences are fully um, used uh, for agriculture, for town water supply, uh, for mining, for industry. And, and so there's no spare water. Um, we, we need to create more environmental um, water availability in many of these river systems that are very stressed. Um, the, the, the river in where I live here in southwest Victoria, the Moorabool River uh, in particular, for example, is, is um, we know that the, the flow in the river has, has decreased a lot for a few different reasons. Um, and there's things like platypus, for example, that are not found um, in whole areas of this river system because uh, the, the flows in the river are not what they used to be um, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, but uh, if we can support our healthy ecosystems by returning that sponge landscape um, with the way that we manage the land, and there's certainly a role there for, for biochar. And it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to solve everything. And then you're talking about pretty large-scale applications, right? Um, which we're not quite there yet. Um, but um, I guess ultimately, um, in terms of supporting healthy ecosystems, um, you know, we do need to to think about about climate change. And so, for, I guess the other aspect there is the stabilizing the carbon in in biochar for for carbon credits. And uh, you know, if we can remove, um, you know, perhaps. 10% of the, the carbon that's up in the atmosphere by locking it away in, um, in biochar, then that is supporting healthy ecosystems at a global scale. And um, because if we don't do that, um, you know, the ramifications for, for um, living things, for ecosystems um, in, a, in a changing climate is looking more and more serious. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm drinking here a, a cup of coffee where the coffee grounds I collect and I, I make into biochar um, for my garden and uh, I can I can support my um, my healthy garden, but I'm I'm also conscious of our planet. There is there's no planet B that has coffee, so I, I like this planet Earth um, and uh, ensuring that uh, we've we're protecting our healthy ecosystems and and certainly you know just starting with this cup of coffee and the coffee grounds and and so forth that can be made into uh, to biochar and 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 put back into our soils. So there's you can see there's lots of different uh, perspectives there. Um, a lot of different ways in which biochar could uh, support healthy ecosystems, um, and uh, a lot of opportunities for us to to take on board some of those and and scale them up. Yeah, lots of opportunities there and a lot that you've spoken to um, in that in that piece. And I think what comes to mind is that if water is life and essential to life, um, how does biochar kind of fit into being essential and fundamental to life in the way that we live today? 
and tomorrow. Well, so I, it's also yeah, it's also I know, about I'm yesterday. Putting, I'm, I'm putting it. I'm putting it in there. <laughs> I'm just dropping that seed. Yes, it's a good seed, and uh, it's today. It's tomorrow, but it's also yesterday. And um, you know, we we are conscious of Indigenous people in in various parts of the world who yesterday, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, knew the value of of biochar as as being essential to to their soils, and so we have. I guess from from yesterday, <laughs> hundreds of years ago, the the lesson of of, of Terrapetta, where they've they've used char um, in in their um, in their soils to improve um, productivity. Uh, so, how that speaks to us today? Um, well, certainly in my life, um, I mean, I was fascinated with fire and the earth when I was a kid, um, visiting Hawaii and seeing volcanoes and and so, I mean, it's essential to my life. But I, I, look, I think, um, you know, at a, at a larger scale, um, it's if we can if we can be more prepared for um, the the drier times that we're entering right now, um, as part of El Nino that's kicking in, at least in Australia. Um, in other parts of the world, of course, we have a lot more variability, both seasonally, um, from wet to dry periods, um, even without climate change. Um, but there are food security issues um, in many parts of the world um, beyond our borders. That and we live in a global community. Um, I'm conscious of, um, you know, colleagues um, in Asia, in in India, for example, and um, and in uh, Southeast Asia. I lived in Thailand for um, for a year in a refugee camp, and um, you know our rice supply was was very dodgy um, at um, parts of the year. And we know that um, biochar can be used in in paddies um, to enhance production. It can reduce the emissions um, from from those farming systems, both in nitrous oxides and and potentially in methane and, and CO two. So we can we can have a, a more positive impact um, from some of those systems, but we know in parts of the world where water is is in a shorter supply, um, there's parts of of um, the Ganges area, for example, there's parts of um, China where um, water is is so scarce that it is starting to impact on food security, um, and countries can very easily say, well. Um, you know, the rice crop hasn't been enough this year to support exports, so we're going to put a ban on exports. Um, and likewise, if we get um, cascading climate effects around the breadbaskets of the world where we grow wheat, whether it be the Murray-Darling Basin, whether it be um, the um, the plains of um, uh, Saskatchewan in, in Canada, another major wheat growing area where there's um, surprisingly um, relatively um, limited amounts of, of availability of water. Um, you know, we're, we're going to see that, um, you know, food security could quite quickly become a major issue for um, many of uh, <laughs> our 8 billion people or so that are on the planet. So we're going to discover just how essential water is and just how essential the food is that we need to to eat. And so 
if we've all got our our little gardens <laughs> where we can at least grow <laughs> a few healthy greens um I'm under no illusions that I can grow all the food that I need so I'm I'm dependent on farmers just like we all are um across the Murray Darling Basin across our food growing areas um uh to uh, to produce the food we need. I'm going to be speaking at an Engineers Australia um, Climate Resilience um, Conference uh, in a few weeks' time. And, you know, we'll be presenting some of our work um, on, on biochar uh, and how it can uh, hold more water in the landscape and means that we are more prepared for um, changes in, in our water availability. Um, and, you know, we know... Uh, for example, that if we use biochar on a large scale, that we can really um, improve our crop yields. Um, so I think there's a there's a 2021 paper by um, many of our colleagues in in biochar around the world, um, Stephen Joseph and Annette Cowie and, and and so forth, and and they reviewed a lot of the work had been done around. Um, around crop yield and you know if you add biochar in there you can you can increase your crop yield 10 percent 42 percent um and you know ensure that you've got the right mix of, of phosphorus or nitrogen or whatever depending on the soil that you're farming in so it's it is going to be um i think increasingly important uh tomorrow and in the future um that we include more biochar uh, in our farming systems whether it's small scale in our garden, whether it's horticulture, uh, in controlled environments, in, in uh, you know, smart growing um, uh, greenhouses or, or what have you, or whether it's broad scale agriculture. Mm. Yeah, wonderful. Um, and I think you've just spoken to something very simple in that anyone can kind of get started on the biochar journey by just um, putting it in their own garden, right? And then that's kind of where it starts. It's like everyone having a little action step that they can do. And then you start talking to people about it and then you never know how far your words can, can reach um, in terms of getting that biochar story out there. Um, just a, a final question for you, Wendy, as we kind of end here is, um, thank you, by the way, thank you so much for sharing this hot off the press news about the little bit of research of the, the root growth that you mentioned earlier. <laughs> Um, and I'm just wondering if you could just tell us a bit more about what's next steps in your research work, um, you know, when it comes to, to biochar and its water holding capacity. Yes, well, there's, there's, there's lots happening um, and we're working with startup companies, with larger companies as well. Um, we're searching for, for more industry partners to support some of this work because we know we need to scale up um, and it's not about bench scale tests or, or theory anymore. It's about how do we make this work um, at paddock scale, at farm scale, at forest scale, um, at catchment scale. Um, so, for example, um, we have, we're very lucky to have a, a university farm um, behind us here at, at Warren Ponds in Victoria. And so uh, some of my colleagues here, we've, we've got um, biochar going in, being prepared, um, compared with, um, with compost and compared with, um, with other um, fertilisers and so forth and measuring the, the soil moisture and the water storage. Uh, we've got um, uh, the horticultural growth medium work that we're working on and stay tuned for more results on that. We've also got a, 
a 14 hectare solar farm. And so we're we're kicking off at the moment with a agrivoltaics uh, biochar project together with colleagues at UNSW and at Griffith Uni in Queensland. And uh, we're really um, wanting to illustrate and showcase um, at solar farm scale how um, the growth of uh, solar as a renewable energy um, at facility scale doesn't necessarily take away your farmland um, that you can um, farm stock and crops underneath and that biochar has many roles to play there um, as part of solar farms, whether it's in construction materials uh, and, and uh, carbon neutral concrete uh, to, uh, to place those, um, those solar supports or whether it's um, as, um, um, you know, improving the, 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 uh, the, the productivity of the, the vegetation growth underneath uh, the solar panels so that you can support more stock or what have you. So we've got a, a whole area of research in, in, in that that's, that's kicking off. Um, we've also got some ideas that we've developed um, as part of our waste to resources unit in engineering that we need to follow up on where we can, um, for example, in our experimental biogas reactor, taking, um, uh, taking organic waste that if we mix uh, biochar in there, uh, we can actually also optimise uh, the emissions and reduce our, our methane coming out from, from biogas operations. So there's a lot of synergies with some other systems that are out there and uh, how we can um, combine our know-how with microbiologists and, and uh, you know, reduce soil gas emissions at a, at a larger scale, again, across spongy farm landscapes. Um, I think we've also got some opportunities to perhaps work on um, future uh, labelling of, of, of biochar products so that we can um, look at really um, raising awareness of the co-benefits of the different types of biochar, you know, whether you're using a larger particle size for a sandy soil or a smaller, finer um, biochar for a, a, a loamy soil and what that actually means in terms of water holding benefits or using those uh, pore spaces um, for um, enhancing nutrient availability. So pre-treatment, either before pyrolysis or post-treatment or composites. Um, there's another research project around maximising uh, the porosity and surface area in some of these biochars and activation mechanisms for water treatment. And so, you know, you can see there's another whole avenue there of um, future possibilities where it's not so much water holding, but how do you actually um, improve the quality of water that you do have available um, by using um, biochars that are specially designed um, with many of these co-benefits in mind. Um, so it's, yeah, it's the, the water holding and water treatment and uh, um, lots of um, aspects that, I think we'd like to see um, um, taken on board with um, with the various partners in in biochar, whether you're whether you've got a source of organic waste or whether you've got the uh, the know-how to to pyrolyze and and design uh, your biochar products, or whether you're um, at the procurement end of of perhaps um, thinking about how these materials can 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 be used and applied in different different settings. Um, or um, 
yeah, look, there's there's just so many opportunities there with our research and 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 particularly with the partnering side. I mean, yes, we need to uh, publish journal papers because that very much shows that this is peer reviewed, that it's very credible science. We need to base um, scale up on 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 credible um, science and information, but we're also very interested um, in 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 partnering so that we can see the benefits of applications and and scale up. Yeah, wonderful. And it sounds like you've got um, quite a lot on the go, which is wonderful and and things I hadn't even um, come across in terms of like the solar panel, um, you know, farm that you spoke to there. And it sounds like you are kind of wanting to partner with people. And just to kind of close up, you know, I just want to say thank you for for joining us today. And, you know, just let us know um, for anyone that is wanting to partner with you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Yes, my email address is wendy.tims at deacon.edu.au. Uh, you can find us on uh, on the web um, and through ANSBIG. Um, so we're a member of ANSBIG and we're working with uh, Stephen Joseph and many of the other um, um, members and leadership team Um and so you can you can contact us through any of any of those avenues. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Wendy, for, for joining us today. I've learned a lot of a lot in, in our time together. Yes, and, and if people are able to contact me and I can put them in touch with um, any of my colleagues here across the School of Engineering, uh, the School of Life and Environmental Sciences, uh, the Centre for Sustainable Bioproducts. Uh, the Institute for Frontier Materials. So a lot of our, our colleagues working on different aspects and opportunities with biochar, and I'm happy to uh, to put people in touch. Wonderful. We'll put your um your email address in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone. We will see you at the next podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Biochar podcast. To keep up to date on all things Biochar and Ansbig, visit our website ansbig.org and sign up for our newsletter.